This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I'd like to uh, share a few testimonies and tie it in with a portion of Scripture in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. As as it has been mentioned, we already speak the French language, which is the official language in Burkina Faso. And so when we got there in 2014, we were immediately able to dive in into uh, sharing the gospel with people that we met everywhere. And, uh, and that has uh, revealed, helped us understand the spiritual conditions of the average Burkina Bay person in Burkina Faso. We found that um, a lot of them had human reasoning that was at odds with the Word of God. I remember one time talking with a, a Muslim or a, a Catholic, and uh, after sharing the gospel with him and talking about eternity in heaven or hell, he, he, he made a statement that surprised me. He said, well, all the rich people are going to heaven and all the poor people are going to hell. And I had never heard anybody say that. And, uh, uh, and so I asked him immediately, well, what would lead you to such a conclusion? And, uh, and he said, well, all the rich people, they have the ability to help others and be generous and charitable. And the poor people, they, they can't help anyone, so they're all going to hell. And, uh, and I, I told him, well, that's the contrary to what we find true in the Scriptures where Jesus said it's more difficult for a rich man to enter into heaven. And, uh, and so I, I explained to him that it's not good works that qualify us to go to heaven, but it's the good work that Christ has done for us. And, uh, and so we, uh, we find that although there's 5 to 6% Protestant, uh, a Protestant presence in Burkina Faso, we find that most of them just are like every other religion. They believe that they have to do good works to inherit the kingdom of God. And uh, we, uh, most of our encounters are with Muslims, but we have several also with Catholics and Protestants. Uh, sometimes we get the, the feeling that, um, or, or the Catholics tell us, well, we're on the same page because... Uh, you know, the, the Muslims are a majority in Burkina Faso, and they feel like, oh, you believe the Trinity, we believe it too. Jesus is the Son of God, we do too. And so they, they think we're, we're on the same page uh, because we, we, uh, we are very different from the Muslim faith, which denies the deity of Christ and, uh, and denies the Trinity as well. They interpret that to be three gods, and so they think we worship a multitude of gods. And, um, and so we, uh, we help them understand that faith in God, a relationship with God, is not through good works to appease His wrath, but we need to have, uh, to be born again, to be born of the Spirit of God. Uh, as we share the, the gospel, especially with uh, Muslim people, we find that a lot of them are very open to hearing the gospel. We've, we've had, um, I remember one time there was a Muslim who, um, who was asking money for water. And Burkina Faso is a very dry place, and so uh, drinking water is, uh, is a very important thing. And, uh, and so I had just gone to get some groceries, and I had some bottled water, and I gave him one. And while I gave this uh, physical water to him, I asked him about the spiritual water. And I asked him, uh, you know, have you heard of the living water? And he was like, what? What, what is that? And, and then I went and tied the gospel in and told him about who Jesus was. 
And, and I told them from Genesis, because the uh, Muslims, every time you mention Jesus at, at the beginning, they're, turned, they're tuned off. And so I, I, I introduced him to the idea of sin. And the sin was uh, entered into the Garden of Eden. And God gave a principle to Adam. He said, the day that you will eat of the forbidden fruit, you shall surely die. That's a promise that God gave Adam. If you eat, you die. And so God gives us the principle that sin leads to death. And, uh, and so we, we, uh, we understand that clearly from Scripture. But the Muslims, they believe that uh, they, they, um, they have to answer for their own sin. No one can uh, pay for their, their sins. There's no substitute. Everyone has to answer uh, for themselves. And, uh, and so they, they claim and they, they call on the mercy of God because they know that their life is not pure enough, holy enough. And so I, I proceeded to explain to him that we need to pay for sin. Sin must be paid for. But God offered a payment for our sin. And that is illustrated when God rejected the fig leaves, the, 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 the aprons of fig leaves that Adam and Eve had, had made, and God gave, provided coats of skin. Now, how do we get coats of skin? We have to kill an animal. And so the first sacrifice that was ever made in human history, God made it himself. God provided himself a sacrifice to reconcile Adam and Eve who had sinned against him. And that is an illustration, an announcement of the, the Son of God, the seed of the woman who would forever crush the head of the serpent and uh, would have the victory over death, hell, and the grave. And, uh, and, so I, and then I introduced him to this gift that God has provided through the coats of skin as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We can put on the righteousness of Christ on our uh, on ourselves and uh, reject, repent from our own good works. And we understand that uh, when Christ came, uh, he said that the world hates me because I show that their works are evil. You see, everything that we try to muster up that's good in our own eyes, God sees that as filthy rags. God sees that as fig leaves. It's not what, the, it, it's the, our, our own righteousness. And God doesn't accept our own righteousness. He accepts his righteousness, and, that, and he provides it for us. Man, when I got through explaining the gospel with this young man who was very attentive, he pointed to me and he's like, you're dangerous. <laughs> and I didn't have a bomb strapped around me. I didn't have a sword, I didn't have a gun, but I did have the sword of the Spirit, which is the truth, eternal truth of the Word of God. And, uh, and he understood and he was convicted of that. Now, sadly, he, didn't, he did not uh, uh, make a profession of faith, but he had an encounter. He had a meeting with God that day. And maybe I'll never see him again, but I, maybe I'll see him again in heaven. And uh, I don't know, you know what the Lord uh, does behind the scenes, but we know that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, continues to work while we uh, are sleeping. And, uh, and so that's a wonderful thing. Another time I remember uh, another encounter, which it was a, a one-time th uh, person I met and probably never see again. And, and, and this took me back. I went through the gospel, explained it to him, very attentive. And at the end, I, I asked him, what do you think of the gospel of Christ? And he said, I believe. And I asked him, well, wait, wait, wait. you're a Muslim. You, you've got automatic initial objections. You, you, you can't accept that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Son of God. You can't accept the Trinity. So 
well, what do you mean you believe? And he said, when I was listening to you share God's word about the gospel of Christ, something inside me told me that's the truth. And, uh, and, and you know what? We, we don't have to convict anybody. The Holy Spirit does that work. Salvation is of the Lord, but our part is to get the word out so that we understand that faith cometh by hearing, but how will they hear without a preacher? And that's our job to get the word out into those ears, whether people want to hear it or not. We don't know how, how the heart is of stone or, or soft and the, the preparation that God does. I remember another, another man, so, the, so that Muslim made a profession of faith. Uh, prayed with me that day. Another time, one of, one, uh, of the, the, the families that we married in the church, uh, Omar and Safi, were both Muslim. And, uh, and when I shared the gospel to him, uh, with him for the first time, at the end, he prayed. And I thought, well, this guy, you know, is like a lot of others, you know, he, he's in Burkina Faso, people like to be agreeable. They like to flatter you and say what uh, you want to hear. And, uh, and so uh, many people say, oh, I'll come to your church, and oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and, and, and we never see them again. They get, uh, we try to keep in touch with them, their phone numbers, they never answer the phone, or they get a new number, that's a big thing there. Hard to keep track with people, follow up. But this man, Omar, he shows up to the next meeting, and I had given them the schedule of the, of the, uh, the different Bible studies, and he shows up with a big grin on his face, totally different countenance, and he starts just soaking in all the teachings of God's word. His wife obviously thought that he was crazy because she was the daughter of an imam. So there's a lot of family pressure there. And, uh, and so uh, after a while, she notices the change in his life and she starts coming to church. Now, of course, very backwards, very shy, leaves as soon as things are over. But then several months after that, she calls me and she says, I want to put my faith in Christ, but my father is an imam. What do I do? And so I told her, you do what you believe God wants you to do and let God deal with your dad. And that's what, that's what uh, she did. And it was a joy to see Omar see his wife come to know the Lord as her uh, personal Savior. And then to see the, the, just the, the fantastic um, uh, union of the church. And when Omar said, I want to go to my father-in-law and explain to him what's happened to our family. And, all, and so that was a big deal in the church. We made that a matter of prayer. And the, the following week, we rejoiced with Omar because the, the imam, the father, said, well, it, it, uh, as long as you stay together, that's all that matters. I understand in that culture, if you're a religious leader and your child converts to a different religion, that looks bad on you. And we've seen persecution, uh, beatings, and, uh, and uh, dis disowning, and, uh, and uh, persecution, physical persecution, and so for an imam to respond like he did was nothing short of a miracle. And we, we praise the Lord for that. That's a, a, one of the first couples in our church. Uh, as we teach uh, the Word of God, we, uh, we uh, try to explain the importance of going to church as a family, worshiping as a family, uh, showing the good example to, uh, to, the, to the children. And so things as simple that we take for granted, like a, a family sitting together in a church gathering, that doesn't happen in Burkina. All the men are on one side and all the women on the other side. And, uh, and so, so in our church, we try to help them understand God wants to do his work through the church. And the church can only be strong when the families are strong and the families need to be united. In Burkina, it's totally normal for a man to go to one church and his wife to go to a different church, maybe of a different, different denomination. 
And so, and so they're really confused about this matter. And so Omar and Safi started sitting together. And, and that's a shock. That's a culture shock, not only for them, but for all the other Burkina Bays looking at them. They're like, what are you doing? Uh, it's, it's a foreign concept. And one of the things that has, has been uh, thrilling to see is that other couples in the church started sitting together too. <laughs> and so we're just thrilled about uh, lives being transformed and seeing uh, Burkina Bay reach their own uh, folks. And, and it's an encouragement. Uh, I'd like to share a, um, a few verses with you from Hebrews 13, verse 8. The Bible says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. The Bible says in verse 9, Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them, which have been occupied therein. Verse 10, we have an altar, thereof, whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Verse 12, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. Verse 13, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. And I want to draw your attention to the expression in verse 10. The Bible says, we have an altar. We have an altar. In other words, he's talking about the altar in the Old Testament where these, uh, a few piles of stone sometimes were, were put together as we picture um, Abraham wanting to sacrifice his son. But then when we go in the tabernacle, we know that there was uh, an altar, which was a brazen altar, where sacrifices were made for Jews to be reconciled temporarily to God until they committed the next sin and had to bring another animal and get reconciled and commit another sin and bring it. And we see, we, we see that pattern continually until Christ died on the cross and paid for sin once, forever. No more, no more payment is necessary because God has provided himself. Uh, uh, the Bible says that he has redeemed the church by his own blood. And how can God have blood? God is a spirit. How can God have blood? Well, He has blood through the incarnation, through Jesus Christ. And so God pays Himself to reconcile us uh, to Himself. And here we have a pattern. Uh, maybe if you're in the habit of marking things, look at verse 11. The Bible says, uh, For the bodies of those beasts, you're talking in the Old Testament, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Would you note the expression at the end of verse 11, without the camp. And then look at verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered, and there is a, the similar expression, without the gate. Would you underscore without the gate. So in the Old Testament, there was a sacrifice for sin where an animal was dissected, was killed first and then dissected, butchered, and parts of that animal were burned on the brazen altar in the, in the tabernacle, and other parts were burned outside of the tabernacle. And that was the, and we know there, there's five different offerings that we read about in the book of Leviticus, and only one of those, which was the sin offering, was done where part of the animal was burned in the camp and the other outside of the camp. And there's a beautiful picture of Christ where Christ took our sin and 
nailed it to the cross outside of the city of Jerusalem, outside of the tabernacle. In other words, Christ became sin for us. He who knew no sin, he became dirt and filthy, things that are thrown outside of the camp. What is trash, he took our trash, our sin, our guilt on himself. He died for us. But he goes into the presence of God and present his holy, pure, precious, eternal blood, and God is satisfied. And so we see this picture of Christ in the Old Testament where part is presented into the presence of God and other, what is filthy, is burnt outside of the camp. And Jesus went outside of the temple, died on the cruel cross as a criminal, among criminals. And he did that for you and me. He had no sin. And so we, we have this, this altar. This altar is a, a place uh, that pictures death, a, pic, a picture of, of blood that's constantly flowing. Uh, and and the, the justice of God requires a payment for sin. Earlier in the passage, we read about uh, that we are not to be carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. We know the book, in the book of Galatians that uh, Paul is surprised. He marvels, the Bible says, that the churches would go back to the law. They would go back and, and go to another gospel, which is not another. There's only one true gospel, and that's the gospel of the grace of God. Not of good works, not of meats where we contribute, but where God has made the, the, the only contribution which we must accept from Him to please Him. In verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. Okay, what does it mean for us today? Verse 13. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. So our altar, which by the way is not an altar of death, it is an altar of death to self, but to live unto Christ. We live for Christ. We, it is a reasonable service for us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, the book of Romans tells us. And so we live, we die to our own uh, uh, plans and ambitions, and we live for the objectives and the will of God. And so we go to Christ, and the priority is Christ. The sad thing in Burkina is that we find a lot of people get enticed in the prosperity gospel. It is totally normal to go in a Protestant church and to hear words from a preacher who says, give $1,000 in the offering and God will give 2000 to you this week. Now, what is that? That's the lottery. It's just another form of lottery where we stamp the spiritual approval of God and that's not going to cut it. And people are going and they're trying Jesus and they're not going to Jesus because they want a payment for their sin. They're going to Jesus because they want prosperity. In this life, which will one day burn up. And so these people need to be opened up. They need to have their eyes open to their spiritual condition, not their mental or physical condition. We tell repeatedly to people that Jesus did not come to make us healthy physically. He did not come to give us money. He did not come to heal our diseases to heal the blind. And, and he did all those things, but that's not why he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we don't need to be saved from poverty. We don't need to be saved from 
uh, whatever, we can fill in the blank. Jesus came to save sinners from hell. And as we go to verse 13, we see, let us go forth therefore unto him. We go to Jesus for Jesus. Not to have Jesus to have a means to get something else. Um, I remember a, a Muslim came to one of our Bible studies one time, and he gave me a blank sheet of paper with a pen, and he said, would you write down a prayer that I can pray to your God in Jesus' name, and it's a prayer that's going to bless my business. And so he's like giving me a blank sheet of paper, and he wants me to redact, compose a prayer, uh, like a ritual, so that he can be blessed. And uh, I tried to help that young man under understand, and I never saw him again, because I never <laughs> wrote on his piece of paper, but I tried to help him understand that God is not a witch doctor. God is not someone up in heaven that's waiting for a good combination of acts and say, okay, he fulfilled the responsibility, so I'm, I'm obligated to give him what he wants. That's not how it happens. And we need to uh, understand that God wants to become our father. And we never go to our father and say, Father, oh, wonderful father, I love you. You provide a, a home for me. You provide a, a bed and you provide food on my table. You are so wonderful, father. Father, I have a request to make of thee. Would you give me a candy? Would you give me $20? How many of you children have ever done that with your parents? You took a piece of paper and you say, okay, I want to ask something from mom and dad, and you wrote it down on a piece of paper. Would you raise your hand if you've ever done that before? Oh, there's a guilty over there. <laughs> but that's uncommon. There's, there's certain people that are reared. They're, they're strange. <laughs> and we don't, we don't, we're okay with that. And so, but it's, it doesn't make sense. And maybe that was one incident that was never repeated. Or did you do that regularly? Forever keep, hold your peace. No problem. We'll talk later, okay? After I want to see you at my table later. <laughs> in, all the, in all the churches we've done this illustration, you're the first one to raise your hand. <laughs> and so, but it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense. Why? Because children have certain things in their hearts. They don't have to write it down. It's written in their hearts. And as we go to God in prayer, we don't have to come up with poetic ways of praying, with good combinations of word. God is just interested in what's in our heart because he's our father. He's not some high uh, master somewhere sitting on the throne uh, waiting to be impressed by our eloquence or by our rituals, our capacity to impress him. No, he's our father and he loves us. And, and I, I tried to explain that to him, and he didn't like that answer. But that's just the way they think. But you see, Jesus is the goal. Why did you come to church this evening? Did you come to sing? Singing is good. Did you come to pray? Praying is good. Did you come to be a blessing to someone? That's good. But did you come to meet with the Lord Jesus? Let us go forth, therefore, unto him. And the Bible says, outside of the camp. Now, that's tough. That means that we have to do like Peter. We have to step out of the boat, out of the comfort zone. You see, one of the problems is that today, in today's society, there's kind of an understanding of what Christian behavior should be like. You can be a Christian, but keep it private. Keep it in your home. Don't start talking to people outside. Keep your faith personal. And we met a few people sometimes in Burkina 
that are like, yeah, I, 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 I have faith, but it's personal. I asked I ask them, uh, if you died today, where would you spend eternity? And they're like, well, that's a personal question. Exactly. And if you don't know how you can have your sins forgiven, you need to find out. And so we go outside of the camp. We're not worried to impress man. All we want is to please the Lord. And so we step out of the boat, step out in faith. As David did, he stepped out of the safety of the Israel camp to face Goliath. And we must go where Jesus is. Jesus is not in the comfort zone. Jesus is not staying in the nest. Jesus is soaring. And he wants us to soar with him as we, uh, with wings as eagles. And he wants us to follow him and be fishers of men. And look at, at, uh, at, at the conclusion of verse 3. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp. Let's not worry about what people think of us. By the way, one of the greatest pressures on Christians is other Christians. Oh, I want to do uh, what is uh, normal so that my brethren and, and my sisters can think that I'm a good Christian. Oh, I, I want to go so winning so the pastor can be impressed with me. Oh, I, I, want, I want to do, and the greatest pressure we put on each other is each other. It's not the world. We know the world, how they're supposed to behave, but hey, how dare we compare each other with each other? We compare ourselves with each other. I remember one time a Christian asked my dad, well, you're too holy. Let that statement sink in a little bit. Since when is the problem being too holy? Last time I checked in the Word of God, the problem in the churches in the New Testament was not that they were too holy. It's that they were too carnal. And so we, we, have, we have allowed the world and its filthy influence to impact the churches. And all we can say today is, God bless you. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. But when was the last time that we actually exhorted one another? We don't find a lot of blessings in the Bible, but we find a lot of exhortation. Exhort one another daily. In other words, stop flattering yourselves and start motivating each other unto good works. Motivating each other. When was the last, hey, what was the last opportunity you had to share the gospel? How did it happen? Did God do a work through you that somebody reproach you? Did somebody slap you in the face? Did somebody throw away your track? And this leads us to the final point, bearing his reproach. When we're with Jesus, when we go outside of the camp, when we're not worried about what other Christians think, we just want to walk with the Holy Spirit and, and do what he, wants, what he leads us to do, this is where we end up. We end up in bearing his reproach. We know we're supposed to carry the cross of Christ. Look with me in the previous ch uh, chapters. Chapter 11, verse 26, the Bible says of Moses, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You know what Moses saw? He saw a treasure greater than the treasures of Egypt. He saw a treasure in identifying with his people, the people of Israel. He says, I, I, I want to suffer with my people, with the people of God, rather than enjoy all the pleasures and the wealth that this world has to offer. Now, th this will revolutionize your Christian life. You see, the Christian life is not about being comfortable. Oh, I'll serve the Lord, I'll give the tithe, I'll give the faith promise if it's comfortable. 
if it fits in my budget. No, no, no. It's, it's about stepping out in faith. It's about doing things where we're looking unto Jesus and this, and this world is thinking, you are crazy. And they reproach us. And when we share the gospel with them, they maybe slam or throw the, the track uh, in our face or on the floor. And why would a missionary go to Cambodia? Why would a missionary go to Burkina Faso where uh, we have to leave for a time to see how terrorism is, uh, that situation evolves? Why would he do that? I had a Catholic man one day and I shared the gospel with him going door to door. And he said, man, what, what are you doing here? Why are you going door to door? Aren't you afraid that some Muslim is going to beat you up or kill you? Why would we do that? Because we see a treasure in suffering reproach for the cause of Christ. A treasure. Uh, you see, with, with Paul, he, says, he, he said that at the end of his life that he wanted to know more about God. But he said in the fellowship of his suffering. You see, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And we're not to shy away from it. The Bible says that we are to see that as a treasure. When was the last time that you shared the gospel with someone, you were rejected, and you rejoiced in the treasure of identifying with the suffering of Christ? That's convicting. Because most of the time what happens is we get rejected and we have pity on ourselves. I, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I feel bad. Uh, I, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm not normal. And the world puts a pressure on us. Christians put pressure on us. And we need to let the Lord only put pressure on us. And not worry about what this world thinks. Not have pity on ourselves for being rejected, for suffering reproach. But having pity on others who are rejecting, who are lost, who are blinded by the devil. Who do not see the light. And seeing the treasure of this altar, of dying to self, and going to the Lord outside of the camp, outside of the comfort zone, and bearing his reproach. And to see like Moses, I want to suffer with Christ. See, it's, it's something that's intense. You remember what Peter said? Lord, I'll be faithful to you even until the end. I'll bear the sword. And he tried to do that, but he did it the wrong way. Eventually, he was converted as Jesus said, that one day you, shall you, be, you will be converted and you will strengthen thy brethren. And in our lives, we need that conversion. Conversion from being blessed to being a blessing to others. To stop taking it all in and start giving it out. To walk with the Lord. Our Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this altar that we have, this treasure that we have in earthen vessels. Help us to, to see these opportunities we have to share the gospel and to be rejected of men, help us not under, to understand that they don't reject us, they're rejecting you. And help us to rejoice in these opportunities, to suffer reproach for the cause of Christ. Help us not to feel pity on ourselves, but on the contrary, to rejoice and help us to exhort one another daily unto good works, so that the cause of Christ may go further. Help us to... to uh, Bear our cross and to understand that the yoke that you place on us is easy and the burden is light. It's something that is a pleasure. Help us to have this in view. Thank you for the call to Burkina Faso and for the faithfulness of this church and their ministry all around the world. 
And we pray that they would keep advancing for the cause of Christ and help us to be faithful as stewards till the end. And help us to stay with you and to not be worried about what man thinks. Help us to get out of the camp, get out of the comfort zone, for that's where you are. Help us to live by faith and to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptation because we know that you want to do a work in and through us. Help us to understand these things. Bring us back to Burkina Faso before the end of the year that we may resume the ministry there and see the church committed to thee and start a second church. And we'll be thankful for what you do. Pray that safety would, would be greatly increased and that terrorist activity would decrease, that the gospel may go further in Burkina Faso. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.